What's going on, guys? It's Nick here, back with another video. We have a very special video this week. We have JM from the one week season uh, on the show today. We're going to talk about some like messy running back situations, some of the you know worst start sit decisions uh, you typically have in a season. I trust JM more than most people in this industry. Like he's up there with the very, very best. Uh, so we're going to be like semi partnering with them this year. I've been following for three, four years now. Great content on their site, uh, the one week season. Please check that out. I'll link in the description box down below. Um, but I think we're just going to hop right into things. We're going to talk about the first situation here, which is the Jaguars. The Jaguars are like, it's a tough one. Um, we're going to talk specifically about like week one for like a lot of these, but then, you know, just, I mean, overall thoughts across the entire season too. Some people might still be drafting in this final week. I know I am for a few times, um, but in week one, you've got Etienne. He hasn't obviously played yet in a regular season game for the Jaguars. You've got what it seems like Robinson is going to play. Don't believe he played at all in the preseason, obviously coming off the torn Achilles in like late December last season. So I'm going to pass it off to you, JM. What are your overall thoughts on this like backfield for week one? And then kind of beyond that, like how much, like what do basically we think the split is going to be week one and kind of like after that later in the season? Yeah. So first off, I, I want to say thanks for having me on. I'm super excited <laughs> to be doing this with you. I've been looking forward to this for a couple of weeks. And for any of you who don't know me, as Nick mentioned, OneWeekSeason.com. We're a DFS site, but we have tons of stuff for season-long players that's super beneficial super beneficial for you, including uh, our game by game breakdown. We make everything free week one. So check us out. Everything's free. Uh, the Jaguars backfield. So I, I do want to talk a little bit about drafts because again, if mm -hmm. this goes up on Monday, right, there's still a few days where people get, are getting in their late drafts. And typically the people who are getting in their late drafts are people who are a little bit less prepared or are in mm -hmm. leagues with people <laughs> who are a little bit less prepared. So I think that we can hit on some stuff in here too, that, is from like a more macro perspective and from a strategy perspective of how we can think about these things. Because one of the tendencies we have is to take these situations and say, okay, this is what's definitely going to happen. And I'm going to stamp, stamp my foot down here and make this decision. Whereas realistically, a lot of times we're dealing with some level of uncertainty in these situations. And so if we can understand how to handle that uncertainty and use it to our advantage, we can gain an edge in our league over time. So the Jaguars are a very interesting situation because of the sheer amount of uncertainty that we have. <laughs> it's easy to be like, well, Trevor Lawrence is a generational prospect and all that. But if you watch college football games and watch NFL football games, you're watching two different sports, right? Oh, a guy yeah. who's open in the NFL is a guy with like a half yard of separation. Absolutely. And in college, that guy is covered. So we don't know for sure that Trevor Lawrence is going to be a great NFL quarterback but the chances are pretty good that he's going to be a lot better than he was last year. What we do know is that he was in a horrible situation last year. He had very few weapons. They just cut Laquan Treadwell, who was Trevor <laughs> Lawrence's number one receiver down the stretch mm -hmm. last year. Obviously, Urban Meyer's gone. Doug Peterson's in. So I think that what we're going to see in week one, well, basically from like a macro perspective, is be willing to embrace some of this uncertainty on Jacksonville and be willing to take some of these guys recognizing that there's a broad range of outcomes. So with a broad range of outcomes, what I mean is maybe Christian Kirk's being drafted three rounds higher than he should be, but also maybe he's being drafted three rounds lower and you don't know unless, or, or you don't know until we get into the season. So mm -hmm. you want to try to have an opportunity to 
get this upside. And there are only a limited number of situations across the NFL where we have this amount of uncertainty and this broad of a range of outcomes. So if you pick Christian Kirk and he's a flop, well, you can drop him. You're going to be dropping guys who you picked in the eighth, ninth, 10th rounds anyway. Yeah. Uh, with Travis Etienne, it's a little bit different because you have to invest such high draft capital in him. The way I see this is there are only two backs on this offense, right? Snoop Connor's not going to be taking away work from either of these guys deeper into the season. So at worst, you get a 50-50 split. What we typically see, right, we still think about workhorse running backs from six, seven years ago, where you had a number of guys who saw 85, 90% of the snaps. At this point, there's like five or six of those guys left in the NFL. And a workhorse back, a lead back is a 65% back. So it would be tough for James Robinson to come back from an Achilles tear and be the 65% guy right away. So I think what we're going to see here is a sort of unconventional situation, right? Where Etienne isn't necessarily a 1A back or a lead back, but neither was Alvin Kamara those first couple of years with the Saints. Now, this isn't Drew Brees' offense, Sean Payton's offense, but we still have a guy who's going to be used in this sort of pass-catching role. So, Nick, you told me, you know, let's let's kind of focus these, this talk on half PPR because that kind of covers mm-hmm. – everything. And I think this is an interesting player in that he's that much more valuable in PPR, that much less valuable in standard, kind of like a DeAndre Swift, right? If you look at DeAndre Swift's stats, you're really kind of like, oh, wow, this guy gets 10 carries, 11 carries, 12 carries. Wait, how does he put up so many fantasy points? And I think we could have a similar situation here. We're actually going to get to the Bills backfield a little bit deeper into this. And I think we can have Mm -hmm. a, a similar situation there as well. But yeah, if we're talking week one, I'm rolling out Travis Etting. You invested a third, fourth round draft pick in this guy. And we know Achilles injuries are hard to come back from. So there's a chance that James Robinson never comes back and looks the way he do, that he did before. And so, yeah, I feel very comfortable here. And, and even like Christian Kirk, the target volume he's seen in preseason, it indicates that we're likely to see him in an alpha type role. Yeah, it was These like 38%. It was wild. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. And that's like top of the league type stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's not, it's a small sample size, not guaranteed to carry over. We've seen Doug Peterson offenses rarely have guys see double-digit targets to date. That could change. But even if he's getting six to eight targets a game, that puts him in a pretty strong range by the end of the season, right? 140 targets, say, and you know he, he catches 65% of those. He's catching around 100 balls, 90 to 100 balls, and well over 1,000 yards. So, yeah, I mean, I think that from like a week-to-week basis, he's going to be a, a wide receiver three at worst of flex. And so – yeah, this is an offense that I think is very interesting, and I think that there's a lot that we can pull value from early in the season. I'm actually mm-hmm. really interested your thoughts, particularly in the backfield in this spot. Yeah, so I think this is one where it's like it is so unbelievably unlikely that in week one they just roll James Robinson out there for like even honestly even like 15 touches. Like it just it doesn't seem likely that coming off of this injury, not even that long ago, like people complain about Akers obviously coming off the injury. Like Akers tore it in like what, before even week one last season, like this is like Christmas. He he tore it. And like, again, the track record's like zero ever running backs have recovered from this injury and like been really good. So I, I think you just basically have to, like you said, the, the draft capital, like for you to have drafted Etienne in like round four in, in general, maybe it was round three in a full PPR league. And just to put him on the bench, like unless you have just a juggernaut, offense where you went super running back heavy and you can afford to put him on the bench you just you just kind of have to play him in week one 
Uh, and I like the thoughts on Kirk too. It, it's really just, yeah, it's like the offense with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, you look at, I think I said in a video um, like last week, there were like 300 targets that was just absolute scrubs he was throwing to last season. The coaching situation was awful. Like they had that clip circulating Twitter. It was like uh, LaVisca and Treadwell were like both running slants and just like ran into each other and the target goes over there. Like it was a complete joke. So it's obviously it's an upgrade this season. The offense is going to be better. So yeah, I, I think Kirk's a more difficult one because it's like, I don't know where someone took him in general. Like you said, I think it's like that wide receiver three, that flex range you're probably playing him in. If you're in like a, you know, two running back, two wide receiver, one flex, 10 team league, and he's your four or five. Maybe it's one where it's like there's so much unknown in the offense, you kind of hold off. So maybe if you don't need to start him, you don't. But if we're talking about the backfield, there's no way I'm starting James Robinson until I see him healthy. I see him producing well and getting workload. Etienne, I, I think you just got to play him and just kind of live. Yeah, we, we used to look at these Achilles tears as like a death sentence yeah. for a player. And I mean, uh, look at OJ Howard just got released by the Bills. I mean, you remember how good OJ Howard was his rookie <laughs> yeah. year? It's like these Achilles injuries are tough to come back from. And then Cam Akers had this miraculous, mm-hmm. you know, four months later, five months later, he's playing in the Super Bowl and didn't look good, obviously, but was yeah, playing. And, and <laughs> it's kind of like when uh, Adrian Peterson came back from it, we're going way back in the time machine, but when he came back from his ACL mm-hmm. tear after like eight or nine months and looked like himself. And he was one of the first guys who really come back that quickly and looked that good because the science had progressed, the medical science had progressed to a point where they could fix these ACL tears. And then that started happening. But I don't think that we have a track record with these Achilles injuries where we're like, oh, this is not a big deal now. And so, yeah, I mean, in best ball drafts this year, I was taking a lot of James Robinson when I could get him in the 160s, the 170s. And now he's being picked in kind of the 120s. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I got my James Robinson shares. I don't need any more risk on on Mm -hmm. that. And then another thing too, I I just want to throw out there from like a mindset standpoint, because these are things that we talk about a lot in DFS that carry over so well to season long is we have a tendency to be results-based in our thinking. So you sit Christian Kirk, let's say he blows up for a big game and you're like, ah, I made a mistake sitting him. But realistically, what we're wanting to understand is what is this player's range of outcomes and how often are they going to have this type of game that you're going to regret not playing them? So like you said, if Mm -hmm. he's your four or five wide receiver, there's no need to start him week one. You can take a wait and see approach. And then if he starts putting up these bigger games, sure, you missed out on a couple of them, but you also were weighing the risk reward there. And like we said, understanding there's a broad range of outcomes on this player. If you have to play him because he's your third best guy, your fourth best guy, and you take a dud early in the season, again, you know, you weighed the risk reward and you made the smartest play there. And Uh, Yeah, yeah, I I love playing around with these teams where we have a lot of unknowns because that's where we can find a lot of the upside, a lot of the value that the people who are taking the kind of the AJ Greens, like the old guys on the tail end of their career, they miss out on these opportunities to get these changing situations. Last thing I want to know know what AJ Green is. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And we don't know what Christian Kirk is in this offense. And we also want to think about how our perceptions of a player are built or more importantly, how everyone else's perception of a player is built. So the perception of Christian Kirk is, oh, he's this B receiver who got this big contract. And mm-hmm. so if you draft him in whatever round, no matter what round it is, you automatically feel like you're overdrafting him because he was overpaid. Yeah. So you kind of know that everybody else feels that way as well. And where they have some fear on this guy, you can embrace that a little bit and try to take advantage of the potential upside yeah. that's there. Yeah, everyone locked into the the running joke on Twitter when... 
you know, the contract first came out in the off season where it was like, obviously, you know, everyone thought he was overpaid and that just means you're overdrafting him, which is not the case. hundred percent. Yep. Let's move on to the Texans, which I don't think it's oh, like excited. a really conversation. If, uh, you know, Damian Pierce is the one you want in, in fantasy, like, obviously that's the case. Um, one thing I've been kind of locked into in the last like month was I was looking at my projections and looking at all these players and I'm like, I mean, they don't have much talent, obviously. Like, everyone knows that. Their win total is pretty low. They're not, like, a good team. We know that. But Brandon Cooks is, like, a very good player, in my opinion. He's still very good. Um, it looks like Pierce is going to be a good running back. Obviously, a lot of unknown there. And I'm looking at, like, their big four. I guess quote-unquote big four. Obviously, they're not that fantastic. But it's him, uh, or those two, Collins and Pierce. And I'm looking at those four. And none of them were going where I thought they should go in drafts. And so it felt like every underdog draft, I was just taking like two of them plus, I mean, you didn't even have to add in Davis Mills, but sometimes with Davis Mills and just being like, if they're not like the third or fourth worst team in the league, these guys are paying off their ADP. So I wanted overall thoughts. Uh, are those lineups dead? Like, it, can they can they be like the eighth or the ninth worst team in the league, at least on offense, obviously? Uh, and then do you think that everyone who's drafting, I would say if you drafted this weekend and this week, and you took Damian Pierce, you probably had to do so in like a 12-team league around like the sixth round in that general range. It obviously depends on like how um, in tune with the news your league is. Some people could wait until like seven, eight, nine in aggressive leagues. Maybe people took him in like the fifth round. Uh, but would you be starting him week one? I believe, who are they playing week one? I thought I had it written down, but now I don't. I don't remember. Yeah, they're playing the Colts week one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that so right? Uh, Shaquille Leonard's going to be out, so that helps the the mm -hmm. run defense matchup. But yeah, so Damian Pierce is so interesting to me because let's take a, a different example here. The where like the hype machines lead and how news gets built, and this is obviously um, this is something we talk about on OWS, especially during this time of year during best ball drafting season, but. For example, let's take Miles Sanders, right? He was being drafted in like the 60s in underdog drafts, like the, the early sixth round. And then news came out one day that he was seeing work with the twos on offense and his ADP starts falling. Mm -hmm. And by the next day, the Nick Sirianni's cleared it up and he's like, yeah, we rotate our backs through. We're just getting them reps. And Miles Sanders has a, like a big rant to the media about, look, I'm the number one back on this team. You guys need to stop writing stories about me being the number two. And then the next day, Nick Sirianni comes out and he's like, no, Miles Sanders is our guy. Miles Sanders, top 10 in NFL history in yards per carry among running backs. Now, he hasn't played a ton of games because he's always hurt. But if he's healthy, he's the number one guy. And yet from this news cycle starting, he, he dropped from like, the 60s to the 90s like you can get him at pick 95 now on underdog and that's because this drop started there was nothing that really arrested the drop and then there's been no new news that's like jolted him back up so i think that when we understand these adp momentum shifts we sort of understand when players are undervalued and overvalued for their range of outcomes so damian pierce if you if you know if you were drafting a month ago on underdog you could get him in the 13th 14th 15th round and now you have to spend a seventh round pick on him. So if you're on underdog in a, like a best ball mania tournament, you can't draft Always oh, undraftable yeah, you in the sixth round because you're competing no. against rosters that drafted him seven rounds later. If you're in a fantasy league, then you just have to question, okay, has this momentum brought him up higher than what the risk reward is on this guy? So for me, like this morning, 
uh, in my, I was, I'm in the $2,500 Mastiff draft on underdog nice. and somebody took him in the fifth round. Uh, I did a CBS mock draft today with a bunch of like industry people, uh, Graham Barfield and Alex Caruso and JJ Zacharias and some of these guys. And I forget who said it, but one of them said that they'd seen him drafted in the third round <laughs> in like a, a high dollar FFPC draft. Wow. So I, I think that when we're getting to this, this point, we're overestimating his ceiling because you've got a guy who's not going to see many catches more than likely and who's on a team that's not going to score that many touchdowns more than likely. Mm-hmm. So if I'm drafting right now, I'm probably not taking Damian Pierce just because Elijah Mitchell just went undrafted so far in this league where uh, where Damian Pierce went at pick 57, right? And and like there's guys that I would rather take that have more certainty, similar roles, more upside. That's the way I feel there. On the rest of this Texans offense, I'm with you, man. Like the from a risk reward standpoint, Brandon Cooks is better than people think. And mm-hmm. it depends on who you're taking him around, right? If if you're having to take him over, say Chris Godwin, then you're saying, well, if Chris Godwin's healthy, he's in a better offense, yeah. he's gonna get as many targets, he's a better play. But if he's kind of dropping down to this range where there's question marks across the board, there are so few question marks on Brandon Cooks. David Mills. David Mills, Davis Mills. Davis, yeah. <laughs> uh, last year, we saw him put up that big game against the Patriots. There mm-hmm. were a couple other like 25 to 30 point fantasy games that he yeah. had. And it's yeah. like, I, I think back to Tom Brady, right? Like Mills is not Brady, but there's going to be another, or Russell Wilson was drafted in the third round. He was not even supposed to win the starting job. Who was it? Matt Flynn that they'd given a big free agent contract to, to be their starting quarterback that year. Like there are guys every year who come from deeper down the draft and become way better starting quarterbacks than we would expect. Dak Prescott's another one. So I could see Mills three, four years from now, right? Like we treat him like a guy who's going to lose his job because of his draft capital. But if you're on the team and you see this guy every day, if you're the coach, that's not how you're seeing this guy. And I think that there's a chance that Mills has another step in him this year, another step in him next year. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that from a risk reward standpoint, and then we're always, we always want to look at concentrated offenses. Like I'm super confident in Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy this year. Why? Well, because who else is Russell Wilson going to throw to? And the last two years, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett combined for target shares of 71% and 66%, which is just insane. If you're over 30%, you're at the top of the league, top 10 in the Mm -hmm. league in target share. That's two guys on the same team averaging over a 30% target share. We're going to see that with the Broncos again this year with, with Sutton and Judy. So if we go over to the Texans, who else are they going to throw to? I think that in this situation, Nico Collins, we don't even have to judge talent so much as just role and does he take another step it's okay to be wrong on that pick because you're not trying to predict what will happen you just want to understand the risk reward and say well i don't have to invest that high of draft capital and there's a chance he has a much bigger season now as for week one am i starting obviously you're starting damian pierce if you drafted him in the last two weeks obviously Mm -hmm. you're starting brandon cooks am i starting nico Mm -hmm. collins you know it depends on what you have on that roster but probably not but you've got him on your bench and you have a lot of upside that's built in and we're looking for these guys who could break out who could be drafted seven eight rounds higher next year than they're being drafted right now 
like Nico Collins definitely fits that profile this year. And he's a year two wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, I did a podcast yesterday with JJ Zach Ryzen, and he was talking about like the profiles of year two wide receivers and like how consistently there are breakouts in these mm-hmm. year two wide receivers. Well, we get that type of setup here as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think people take year one and they say, oh, we know what this guy is. The jump from college to NFL is so big. I think we could see mm-hmm. another step from some of these guys this year. There were pretty positive reports too about Collins in camp. He didn't get the same hype as maybe some other players, but like it it seemed like he was having a really good camp. And it's like, what it was like, is Philip Dorset even on the team right now? Like, like who's getting this these targets? There's no it's three. Not, yeah. If it's not yeah. going to I think um they they got Tyler Johnson, but like Tyler Johnson couldn't even do anything with Tom Brady at quarterback. Like there, there's no one. There's no one there. So if they're gonna make any step forward. I like the Texans, which, you know, and Brevin Jordan, that's probably the one where it's like, you know, it's, it's the 18th round on underdog. It, it, for me to say that someone in a redraft league that has 10 teams is starting Brevin Jordan at any point in winning the championship. You're I mean, that's pretty, low. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty low, but at least on underdog, he can catch a, a touchdown here and there. Yep. All right. Yep. Catch a touchdown <laughs> in playoff weeks. And there you yeah. have it. What if you catch a touchdown in week or two of them in week 17 and my day exactly. is a million dollars. Okay. Uh, Dallas. So I was actually surprised the, this one's a really close. Um, so they played the Bucks in week one. I thought, I don't know, I thought it would be like three points. I think it's like one and a half point um, in favor of Tampa Bay. Um, but Dallas going to start off, you know, injured, obviously. Like it seems like Gallup's actually returning quicker than maybe in the earlier in the offseason people had expected. Like he's doing well, not going to be out there in week one, but it looks like early in the season. But for week one, you're not going to have him. Uh, James Washington's still injured. Um, obviously, you know, they have Amari Cooper leaving. Uh, on the off season. And so it's like, you've got these four players, Lamb, Schultz, Zeke, and Pollard. You've got like a good defense on the other side, but a high total game, it, it almost feels like if you have any of those four, like obviously everyone who drafted Lamb's playing them. If you drafted Schultz, I mean, he was what, like the six or seven, ten up the board, like you're starting him too. But I feel like no matter what, it's almost like start Zeke and Pollard because what else is Dak really going to throw to? I feel like he doesn't, like they have people who've been, you know, performing well in camp, but like aren't high end talents. Um, their rookie Tolbert, actually not very glowing reports out of him in camp. So it seems like to me, even though the matchup is absolutely brutal, Zeke and Pollard, I would say if if I can start them, I would. But I want to know your thoughts on that one because obviously, like it's not typically a spot against the Bucks that you want to be starting running backs. Uh, yeah, I almost feel better starting Pollard over Zeke just because of Catching. Yeah. <laughs> how hard it is to run the ball up the middle yeah. against the Bucks. But yeah, I think that one of the things that, you know, so I, I've been doing season long since 2004, which makes me feel really old, but I've been doing season long <laughs> since 2004 I was and, uh, <laughs> and then uh, DFS since 2013. And so it was around like 2016 or 17 that I stopped playing as much season long. And one of the things that I've realized during those years of transition was I was massively missing out on just paying attention to Vegas game totals when I was a season long player. And we can worry so much about the matchup that we don't recognize that two good offenses are probably going to score points Mm -hmm. regardless. And most of our upside in fantasy comes from touchdowns. So I had a chat yesterday with Zandemir who writes our showdown games and Zandemir is very data driven and that's what you need for showdowns. But he writes up those games in the NFL edge. And so he was kind of picking my brains about this first Thursday night game, Bills and Rams, and just asking about the defenses and kind of how these matchups will set up. And I said to him that off the top of my head, I hadn't looked at the over under, but I said off the top of my head, 
this game has to be at least like 49 or 50. And I said, and if it's not, it should honestly be 50 plus. Turns out it's 52 and a half. And, yeah. and it was like, regardless of how good these defenses are, these teams are going to figure out a way to put up points more than likely. And I think we're going to see that with this Cowboys-Bucks game. It's so easy to be afraid of the matchup here and not say, you know what, somehow points are going to be scored. Now, mm-hmm. tougher matchup, sometimes that means the number four or five guy, like maybe Noah Brown pops off for a mm-hmm. couple of touchdowns. You're not going to start him, yeah. but you kind of get screwed because <laughs> I mean, the Cowboys. Whatever, whatever his name is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Cowboys end up putting up these points and you didn't get them. But realistically, touchdowns are probably going to be scored in this game. And yeah, I think Pollard's a great play in this game. Like you said, you're taking Schultz to be a starter. And I yeah. doubt that you're number two tight end is going to be better than yeah. Schultz you're starting lamb but I, I mean I'd feel comfortable Zeke you kind of have to start him if you took him in the first four rounds more than mm-hmm. likely but I'd feel very comfortable starting these guys yeah. and and I think that this is going to be a matchup where you actually get some fantasy goodness out of it because yeah the individual matchups look tough but one way or another points are going to end up being scored in this game yeah that was like the exact take that I thought about like earlier today like I was looking at all of the totals and that one jumped out to me I was like I was like, oh, like they're going to score points. And I looked at the spread and I was like, oh, like like Vegas is saying Dallas is going to score. And if they only have four, you know, players that we think are going to be like the core of their offense and they're going to score, they're going to compete in this game, you should start them. You know, like maybe CeeDee Lamb goes out there and has like three touchdowns. Like anything can happen. Touchdowns are very random. It's tough to like predict exactly what's going to happen. But I think the the real one here is Pollard. And it's like, I think it's going to like look like more of a difficult matchup. I don't know. I just feel like, yeah, I'd, I'd play Pollard in like the flex running back too. If you went, you know, maybe you didn't have running backs early in your draft. So, and you've got like, uncertainty with Pollard too, right? It's like, oh, well, he's the backup. How many passes is he going to catch? But he could come out and end up getting eight targets, right? They could have mm-hmm. a game plan where they're just getting the ball into his hands. And I think that there's a lot of upside that we can tap into there. And I also want to say, I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make in fantasy is overrating matchup over game environment, which I think is, you know, Nick, that's mm. part of the reason why you feel like you've gotten so much out of the NFL edge over the years is because those game by game breakdowns, they're focused on matchup, but they're more focused on game environment, how each team's going to try to win and all that. And that really helps us get a better sense of, because again, so easy to look at the individual matchup and say, well, this is a tough spot. But then when you realize, but they're still going to be points scored in this game, how do we capture those points? Mm-hmm. You gain a much bigger edge. And this isn't trying to uh, sell the site because again, the <laughs> NFL edge is free week one if you're watching this, but it's just like understanding what the value is, what we should be paying attention to in order to make the best possible decisions for our rosters. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing is like, okay, what if like they're going to be less efficient? It's like, I mean, how valuable are carries even really? Like I know the matchup is tough on the ground, but you you don't even care. Like as long as you're not like a standard 20 format, very few people are like you get your value from receptions and touchdowns. So if they happen to have three yards per carry, it's like, cool, you lost like a point, maybe two points from that. The value is the touchdowns. And if Vegas says they're going to score, well, that's good for you. Yeah. All right. Love it. Next situation. This is, this is a tough one for me. Um, I've been in on Edmonds pretty much all summer, but I haven't really known what they're going to do. Basically what the split is going to be. So now that we've seen cuts, uh, Sony Michelle's out. They're going to have Edmonds. They're going to have Mostert. They're going to have Gaskin. And they're going to have Ahmed. That's going to be like the four that they're probably going to go with. Um, but I don't really know. Like Edmonds has just never 
gotten a significant share. Obviously, we're talking about Miami here. I don't think I mentioned that, but um, he's never gotten like a significant workload on the ground. But we know that he's going to be featured in the short passing game. We know that receptions are very valuable. Um, we know that they're home favorites against the Patriots. Um, it feels like he's a pretty good play at, and a flex. Um, you probably drafted him around that range. Uh, if you drafted earlier, I think his ADP has risen a lot more recently. Um, early in the summer, I think you probably got him a little bit later on. But I want to ask about Edmonds and the flex, probably a good thing. Uh, and then also, what do we think about Mostert? Like, we've seen him produce really well in the past. Like, he's, he's an efficient running back. He's pretty good. Uh, never, you know, gotten a significant workload either. What do you think, like, each week from him, how much do you think they want to use him, basically? This this backfield is uh, it's so full of question marks, right? Yeah. The I think you summed it up perfectly. Before Sony Michelle was cut, and I'm I've been banging the table for years that like Sony Michelle's not as good as as you people think. And then you know got that that gig with the Rams last year that everyone was excited about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> didn't pay off. Got cut this year. But even with even with that, my thought was, well, they're probably going to use Sony Michelle at the goal line. And my thought was that because Mostert is kind of this long speed guy where mm -hmm. the whole point of his profile is, I mean, he was a built for that 49ers offense where it was like, get guys in space and let them gain yards with the ball go. in their hands. Yeah, the whole go. And he was, <laughs> he's so fast in like straight line. And so he's so great with, with you give him the ball at your own 30 and maybe he busts a 70 yard run. We haven't seen him in like a goal line role. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen Edmonds in a goal line role, but Miles Gaskin Savon Ahmed, they were like bottom, bottom tier. You know, these are like Miles Gaskin starting running back and not in the top 32 running backs last year in terms of the running backs that you would want starting for your team and isn't part of Mike McDaniel's like team building process. So mm. the Sony Michelle cut was very interesting to me. To me, it either tells us that Miles Gaskin is going to have a bigger role than we expected or that Chase Edmonds is going to have a bigger role than we expected. I guess you could throw Mostert in there as well, but mm -hmm. I lean toward, you know, they gave the free agent contract to Chase Edmonds. I mean, if we're talking about, we're sitting here in the beginning of September and everything's sort of unknown, but we assume that we know things based off of what we've seen in the past. What's really hard for us to do is take a player who's being drafted in the seventh, eighth, ninth round and be like, you know what? This guy actually has it in him to be a third round pick next season. Mm -hmm. Chase Edmonds could totally just bomb this year. But given the lack of depth there, he's going to get some form of opportunity. And he's in a situation where would it totally shock us if we're six weeks in and all of a sudden this guy's priced at 7,200 on DraftKings and mm. this guy is, you know, basically trending toward being like a fourth round pick next year, just from being a 70% of the, of the running back touches type of guy. So I think that Chase Edmonds, the risk is relatively low for where you get him. The reward is so high because you start running out of backs this deep in the draft, who could be legitimate difference makers for your roster. And then, yeah, you know, one of the things that the Patriots defense, if we're talking about week one, one of the things that the Patriots defense is you can look back over the last five years there has been, I think, one year in that stretch where they weren't top three in the NFL in fewest rushing touchdowns allowed to running backs. Hmm. Because analytically, it is so much easier to score on the ground 
when you get really close to the goal line than through the air. And so the Patriots adjust their entire defense to force teams to try to score through the air. So because of that, taking running backs is often a losing proposition against the Patriots. And yet Chase Edmonds can score in so many ways. There's Mm -hmm. so much influx with this Patriots team that I actually feel pretty confident with him in week one, obviously understanding that there's a little more risk, but I think that the, he's the kind of guy who, if you left him on your bench, you could be like, what was I doing? You know, this guy put up 22 points in PPR scoring or something. So yeah, I I think that Edmonds is a super interesting play this year, this week. He's one that I, I would be willing to take some risks on and be wrong on because we're trying to win our leagues and the upside for winning your league with a player like this is so high. Yeah, I mean, if if the pass catching role turns out to be you know as strong as it could be, and I didn't even like jack it up in the projections that much. Like I was trying to be like conservative almost because if you, you know, if you assume oh he's the lead back, so you give him like the most carries, and then you're like oh he's a third down back too, and you give him all these targets, you're like oh yeah he's like a fourth fifth round pick, and like you obviously don't need to rank someone that high if they're going you know super late. Um, but yeah, I I think he could be a player where it's like. I feel like more non-competitive leagues, you probably got him more as like you're running back four. And then it's like, okay, well, maybe, you know, if, if you have like, you started off Najee Harris and Aaron Jones, like you're not benching those guys for Chase Edmonds. Like obviously not. But if you are looking at like the site projections, whatever you're on, and you see, you know, it's very close between him and someone else in like your flex. I feel like he is someone that, yeah, he could rack up five, six, you know, short yardage receptions, turn one of those into a receiving touchdown. And then he doesn't even need more than like 10 to 12 carries and you've got yourself like a fantastic start. So I yeah, think it's kind of flex worthy in week one. I also think we, we, there's not a lot that we really know about this Dolphins offense. Mm-hmm. We have a know. tendency to say it's going to be a run, run heavy offense because that's what the 49ers have been the last few years. But when Kyle Shanahan first took over at the 49ers, it was actually a big news story that first year, how run heavy they were because Kyle Shanahan had just come from the Falcons where they were very pass heavy. And he'd had other, you know, he's been so many spots, been Washington, Cleveland, everywhere he's been, he's had a great offense, but it's always built around the players. And he talked that first year, he was like, this is the first time I've had such a good defense that I can call the offense differently Mm. to basically say, look, I've got such a good defense that we're going to be more run heavy now. And we're not guaranteed that Mike McDaniels is going to do that in, in Miami, right? We all come into this thing and, oh, they're going to be run heavy they could end up being a 65, 68% pass play rate team near the top of the league. And that's how they're using the running backs. It just passes out of the backfield. So I think that there's a lot to like, like you said, you run the projections, even if you're pretty conservative, it's like, well, as long as Chase Edmonds is the 60% back, you're getting good value on him. And if if the offense is more tailored to him, if he's got a bigger role than 60%, now all of a sudden he's just a smash play. He's helping you win your league. Yeah. I think those that's like a very sharp take. And also it almost sets up for them to be like pass heavy. Like Edmonds is obviously best in like a pass catching role. And then Mostert's not a guy. He's not someone like um, that. You just like give, you know, 20, 25, you know, carries to when he gets better as the game goes on. It's like, give him, give him eight to 10 carries and he's going to be very good with those carries and you mix it in with the pass. So I do think they could definitely be more pass heavy than people think. Ooh, I like Um, this. Be excited if you got Edmonds. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Next situation. There's only one player. You'd start, we're talking about the 49ers here. It's Elijah Mitchell. Like you're obviously not starting. They actually cut Trey Sermon, who I believe just signed with the Eagles, like uh, right before we were uh, starting this. Um, you're not starting like Tyrion Davis Price. You know, you know, there's none of these guys you need to start. But 
what would your confidence level be? Let's say half PPR scoring, because we know Mitchell's not going to catch many passes, but they play the Bears. You have to think that the 49ers, they're seven-point road favorites, which is pretty embarrassing. I mean, that's like a significant road spread for a team. Uh, and not even like the 49ers aren't like some juggernaut, right? So pretty likely they're going to be leading the game, which is a positive game script for Mitchell. It's a low total, so it doesn't necessarily mean the 49ers can go out there and score 30 points. But it sets up like a Mitchell game. Do we trust him? I know, was it a hamstring? He, he had some sort of injury, wasn't practicing. They've said that it, like he's probably going to be good to go in week one. How much do we trust him as like, let's just say if someone had him as like a running back two, half PPR. 100%. I'm, I'm playing Elijah Mitchell. And I, I think one of the, we talk about draft capital and how our perceptions of players are formed. We dealt with this with Chris Carson for several years. Everybody kind of came into each season drafting Chris Carson as if he was going to lose his job throughout the season <laughs> because he'd been, what had he been a seventh round draft pick or undrafted mm-hmm. free agent, whatever he'd yep. been. And if he'd been a first round pick and had the seasons he was having, nobody would have been like, okay, Chris Carson's probably losing his job. And so I think that with Elijah Mitchell, the injuries, the, the, the draft capital, the 49ers spent on him last year, our perception of him coming into last season and the fact that these 49ers backfields or these Shanahan backfields have always kind of run through running backs. But to me, you know, last year, every time Mitchell was healthy, I would be running through all the numbers for DFS. And it was like, boy, it's hard to not pull the trigger on Mitchell, even in full PPR scoring, mm-hmm. just because he was so efficient on a per game basis. One of the stats I like to look at is pre touchdown fantasy scoring so that we can get, a, we can take out that randomness of touchdowns and get a sense of what these guys are doing. And with a guy like Mitchell, because he doesn't catch many passes, you'd think he would be way down that list, but he would get so many carries in his starts. And he was so efficient with those carries that he was still one of the more powerful players out there. And I honestly think that our perception from the outside is like, Ooh, will Elijah Mitchell hold on to this job all season? But I think that the perception with the 49ers is if he's healthy, He's the guy. And so, yeah, I feel very comfortable with Elijah Mitchell. As long as he's healthy, I'm rolling him out there as a starting running back week in and week out. And I think that this offense is going to be, it's going to open up even more holes because the defense will have to worry about Trey Lance running the ball. I think that Elijah Mitchell could have a really, really nice season and a really nice week one. Yeah. And another thing to go on with that, uh, you know, we were kind of confused who who exactly is the handcuff. Like we were looking all summer. It's like, is it going to be Trey Sermon? Is it going to be Terry Price? Like we didn't really know. Um, Tyrion Davis price there. And like, there were so many reports that it's like, oh, you know, Trey Sermon finally looks good. He looks good. And like, then they cut him, you know? And it's like, it's like, it, it, we're probably just going to get a situation where they're like, yeah, if Mitchell is healthy, he's our guy. And he's so guy. maybe I've been off of a little bit too much. Um, and, and like you kind of alluded to also when quarterbacks are mobile, like what is the defense supposed to do when you've got Trey Lance out there with Mitchell, who's a great running back, you know, and they're up yeah. by 10. Like it's going to be read option. It's going to be like very, very difficult for them to defend it. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking as well. If you've got, uh, if you've got Mitchell, play him. Uh, we have a, about ten minutes left. We've got like four situations to go over. So we'll try and rapid fire, rapid fire. a little bit more. The next two kind of go actually together because it's the same game. So we're talking about um, the first game of the season, which definitely people are going to start their players in this game because they just. They're des- they just want action. They need to watch their guys. I'll say, don't force it. Uh, take a prop bet or something like that um, if you don't need to. But we've got Akers and Henderson. 
both missing significant amount of time, both back now, I believe, practicing in full. So they should be good to go. Uh, we've got Kyron Williams also missed a ton of time. Now he's back. So it seems like they'll have all three. Uh, tough matchup against Buffalo. Then you've got the Buffalo side where they draft James Cook. Uh, Singletary was awesome to end last season because he was playing like 95% of the snaps. If that goes away, and it's, it's an if because we don't know, they have James Cook. This is another one where it's like, oh, great reports out of Zach Moss, but is this a Trey Sermon situation where they're just like lying to us again? Um, overall thoughts on the running backs you would play in this game, it is very likely for everyone between Akers, Henderson, um, Singletary, and Cook. I would say those are the only ones people are considering, but a lot of them are. I mean, it's like fringe kind of flex plays. We'll say half PPR scoring again. Uh, and game total again right now, it's one of four games this week. It's a 52 and a half. So points are going to be scored, like we kind of alluded to earlier. That matters. I would I would ideally not want to play any of these guys, to be honest. Yeah. But ideally, then I wouldn't have drafted any of these guys. And you might have taken Cam, Cam Akers high enough that you kind of have to play him. Mm. But my thought not in anymore. that backfield... He's dropping yeah. now. Like, <laughs> he's dropping ESPN had him at like 22, like two days ago. But most sites, he's dropping a lot. Yeah. I, and I think that we're all waiting for the Todd Gurley years to return. It's like, oh, this Rams running back role is so powerful is kind of the thought that we still have buried in our heads. And I did that when I, my first underdog drafts this year was like, Ooh, Cam Akers. Yeah. You know, if, if he has a Todd Gurley season, but that was a different offense and they used to be one of the run heaviest offenses in the red zone. Now they're one of the pass heaviest offenses in the red zone. The running backs are Gurley was never super involved in the passing attack, but they're even less involved now. But most of Gurley's value came from his massive touchdown totals. He'd score two touchdowns this week, three the next week, another one the next week, three more the next week. We're not going to see that with these guys. And I do think that Akers and Henderson will split work a little bit. Maybe it's 60 40, maybe it's 50 50. But I think that McVay will give them a chance to kind of compete it out early in the season. They like Henderson. We don't like Henderson from the outside because he gets hurt. But if Henderson's in a tandem backfield, it shouldn't be an issue. And then I really like the Bills backfield. Like I want pieces of the Bills backfield. But like you said, it's easy to have this perception of Singletary because he was playing so many of the snaps last year. But if they stay as pass heavy and then he's playing 60% of the snaps, you know, he's practically unstartable. Right. I do think that we could see James Cook kind of end up in this. You remember Tariq Cohen's first game a few yeah. years ago? And yeah, everyone when, was like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. And then when Kamara first burst onto the scene, <laughs> yep. uh, I think that we could see Buffalo, like we forget how pass heavy Buffalo is. And I think what Buffalo really wants, they, they, in theory, they want to run a rushing attack because teams started playing this too high safety look against them and taking away the deep ball. And the way that you combat that is forcing teams to respect the run. Mm -hmm. But that's the conventional way to combat that. The other way to combat that would be short passes to a guy who's dynamic with the ball in his hands. And I could honestly see, like, I want pieces of Cook because I could see this Bills offense saying, you know what, here's how we can win games with the talent we have. And all of a sudden, Cook is being right. schemed up six seven eight looks per game so yeah. i want these guys on my roster but i i don't necessarily want to start them week one if i don't have to and then on the rams uh, ideally you know henderson's the guy you're taking because you can take him so much farther down the draft or if you're drafting now you can get one of these guys deeper down the draft yeah take a shot but uh week one i'm, I'm ideally not playing these guys and just waiting to see how things play out yeah 
I think especially with Acres, it's like it kind of stinks if you did draft earlier and you took them like in round three yeah. or something that you might be forced into it. But like again, I'd like to see him average more than like two yards per carry, and I'd like to see what the split is. So I feel like yeah, with the Rams, with both these teams, it's like if you have any sort of other option, I want to see because it's like Singletary, Moss, Cook. It honestly does feel like if they're going to get into a you know a shootout, well, wouldn't Cook be the guy if they're running up downfield? Like you said, Buffalo, like Buffalo could open the game with twenty straight pass times. They are not afraid to just throw the ball every single play, and they'll like end up. It looks like they run it more because they'll be up by thirty points in like the second half of the game, and they'll just like run it a ton. But like, or Josh Allen has seven rush attempts, and it's like, yeah, it's like oh, they ran the ball twenty times, but seven of those were Josh Allen. None of them were relevant. Like. They will open the game pass heavy, and that is that's not a good thing for Singletary. He's like one of the worst pass catching backs in like the history of the NFL. Like he's he's unbelievably inefficient. That's why they tried to get McKissick. That's why they tried to do these things in the offseason and they drafted James Cook. So I agree. I don't think I'd want to start many of them. Uh two more. I think we're gonna be good on time, which is fantastic. Uh this one's tough because everyone who drafted Brees Hall is is going in there with the attention that they are starting him because you know he's a fantastic talent. They've been hearing all these things like, you know, he's down the stretch. That's why you would draft him is because in the second half of the season, he's probably going to be pretty good. But like if you've been watching camp, watching preseason stuff like Michael Carter is probably the running back one right now. And at the very least is going to be involved. Uh, This is not a good offense. They are seven point home underdogs against the Ravens. That's brutal. And I don't know, like if you're if you're a split running back on a terrible offense, as a home dog by that much, maybe he shouldn't be starting Brees Hall. Maybe we should just see what's going to happen. I did say a week ago, I was like, people are going to freak out. They're going to see how much Michael Carter is playing in week one. And they're going to be like, why on earth did I draft Brees Hall? It is for the second half of the season, hopefully. But in week one, I feel like if you have a different option, you probably got to just go for it. Yeah. And and also we're probably getting Flacco under center in week yep. one. If you got I mean, Flacco, how much worse is he than, than I center? think that he's better for, you know, yeah. early on, <laughs> you look at Elijah Moore's big games last year, yep. you know, at least one of them came from heavy yep. volume from Flacco. One of them came from Mike white. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I like this offense a little bit more with Flacco, but I also think if you're calling the game with Flacco, well, okay, he's a lot more accurate on these short passes. And so, what you're probably going to end up doing is falling into this game plan where you're targeting Elijah Moore underneath, you're targeting Braxton Berrios underneath and kind of moving the field that way, targeting Michael Carter. So yeah, I, I would, and, and then you wait, you hope that somebody gets fed up with Brees Hall by week three and, and mm-hmm. drops him or yeah, trades him cheaply yeah. to you. But yeah, I think that, that Brees Hall is a perfect, you know, if you got to start him early in the season, you got to start him early in the season. It, it is what it is, right? If he's your second best running back, or third best running back, it is what it is, but ideally he's a guy that you can wait on and then have him help you win your league deeper in the season. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, if somebody else has him, hope that they lose faith in him early on. But I do think that, you know, from a week one matchup standpoint and from just an early season roles standpoint, Michael Carter's not a pushover. I mean, he's a good running back. Mm-hmm. Brees Hall probably would have been a top 10 pick 10 years ago when people took running backs higher in the draft. So it's like mm-hmm. you've got a good backfield, but a bad offensive line, a bad offense you know, your underdogs in week one, it, it just, ideally you can stay away from Brees Hall. Yeah. I, I think that's the, the same take, but, but also don't feel awful if you have to start him because he can catch He's he's still like, you know, I don't remember what his, um, the, the speed score, I think it was like 99th percentile. Like he could have 10 carries, but he happened to bust an 80 yard touchdown and you look like a genius. 
Uh, so don't be like too overwhelmed and be like, oh no, I have to cut him. I like, like, you know, I, I can't, can't start this guy. I got to train him away right now. He's still a good talent. It's just, if you have another option, you probably want to yep, go there. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, last one. We've got just over four minutes to do this. How involved do we think Patterson's going to be in week one? I've been off of Patterson pretty much all season because I feel like to close the year, it just, it just feels weird to me that a team rebuilding and a team that wants to test out their young players that knows they're not going to win now would close the season like featuring Patterson. It just feels odd to me, like test out these other running backs, see what your plan is. Also, why you're trying to win games, you're not going to be that fantastic. Um, it seems like they're going to go with like a big committee to start the year, but it's another situation. I have no idea what the split is going to be, which gives me concern with Patterson because I have absolutely no idea. Could he be the Patterson of the beginning of last year? Maybe. But I don't know. What would you do if you had Patterson in your team? Yeah, it kind of makes me think about a couple of years ago, J.D. McKissick had touchdowns in like two or three straight games and and people were his price went up in on DraftKings and people were starting to play him. But if you watched the games, the touchdowns were like there was one where I think it was Heineke had like rolled up to the left and the play broke down and he threw it across the field and McKissick mm, was there and play, like yeah, broke yeah. three tackles. <laughs> and and you're like, well, that's not repeatable. That's just mm-hmm. something that can happen when this guy has the ball in his hands. And I kind of feel like a lot of Patterson's big games last year were like that. They weren't repeatable. There was just like a fluky chain of events where he had all these big fantasy scores and then his usage dropped throughout the season. So, yeah, I mean, I think the Falcons really like Cordero Patterson. And I think that Cordero Patterson has burst and explosiveness, but I don't think he's going to be a focal point. And especially as we get deeper into the season, you're going to give more touches to Tyler Algier. You're going to take things off Patterson's plate. That's the way I see it. You've got a 31 year old quote running back who, you know, other teams have not been able to get juice out of him. And then he had like a six or eight game run where, where he really produced. And I just, Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I mean, I think that, you're not going to be kicking yourself for not having Patterson. He's not going to be a league winner at his ADP, yeah. almost certainly. But if you have him, I think you can play him early in the season and then potentially even sell high on him because I do yeah. think that he'll have more usage early on than later on. Yeah, early in the year is where you'd want to be getting his touches. And like, there is a world where like they're playing the Saints. Great defense, obviously. They're going to be trailing this game. They're, they're very unlikely to win this game. But what happens in the second half if they're like, well... We have Drake London, we have Kyle Pitts, and we have like what Omomidi Zacchaeus. Like we have nothing behind that. Here's a few looks, Patterson, and like he, he is a good player, uh, so he could score a touchdown. He'd get lucky, efficient. Uh, but I don't know. I I've never been a Patterson fan. Anyone watching this video is likely subscribed. They likely have been watching the content, and I feel it would feel weird if if many people had Patterson, given how many <laughs> things I have said about him. It'd be like drafting him in spite of the things that I've said. So. We've done it. We literally have one minute and 15 seconds before we're going to get cut off. And we did make it through all the situations that we wanted to go over. So I think that is fantastic. Um, you have maybe 30 seconds if you want to say anything to close. And then uh, I think we'll get out of here. Yeah, tons of fun to do this. Uh, for any of you watching, uh, Nick's been using OWS for years. It was fun to be able to connect this off season and do this podcast together. Again, uh, everything on one week season is free week one. And there's a ton of Take stuff. Take advantage on of that. I'm going to be talking a lot about them. One. Yeah. I'm going to be talking a lot about OWS into the season. Take advantage of it being completely free in week one. And just like the edge is it, it's a must read. You have to read the NFL edge. 
Appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, Come check out the site. If it's not for you, it's not for you, but it's if it is for you, then it's really for you. We kind of tailor it to the people it's for. So uh, if you enjoy it, you'll love it. If you don't enjoy it, move on to something else. Uh, but yeah, Nick, thanks for having me on. It's a blast to do this, blast to, to, to talk shop and get ready for yeah. week one, ready for the season. All right. Well, we have about 10 seconds. So that, my friends, is the end of this one. Hope you all enjoyed. If you did, how about hitting the like button and how about subscribing to the channel if you're new here? Thanks for watching.